0: Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now, without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. And to share with you God's Word, we are now in Matthew chapter 20. We're going through our series in Matthew, and we are now looking at a parable. And if you remember, Jesus' message is one of repentance. He calls his hearers to turn and follow him into his kingdom. And we have seen through his ministry, Jesus unveiling what his kingdom is all about. We know that it is not about performance or excellence in our actions but it's about the condition of our hearts and the parable that we will read this morning will also expose the human heart it's going to reveal our hearts but it's also going to reveal God's heart as well and so this morning we're going to see this this main idea and hopefully we'll unpack it as we read through this parable it's The main idea is that the kingdom of heaven operates on God's sovereign grace. The kingdom of heaven operates on God's sovereign grace. And this is in contrast to our worldly perception of this merit-based system that we find ourselves in. It's the system that we often value. Before we get into this parable, though, let me give you a little... Context. Before, um, in chapter 19, a man comes to Jesus and asks him what good deed must be done, what he must do in order to inherit eternal life. And before answering, Jesus first points out that there is only one who is good, referring to God the Creator. And I think this is important for us kind of bookmark because it ties into the parable that we will be reading today because here Jesus is pointing out that this man's moral framework is a little off he has a misperception this man is assuming that he in some way is setting the standard for what is good and Jesus is correcting him on this point It is God, the creator, who sets the standard for what is good and what is wrong or what is good and evil, what is right. It's from this point that Jesus then teaches on the cost of discipleship, emphasizing that those willing to leave behind worldly values will receive eternal life. And so we often, what we value, what we see as good, are these worldly possessions or our actions or our status here? But God points to a different set of values. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's setting the stage, showing that there is a sharp contrast between the values of our world and the values of the kingdom of heaven. So, this is the kingdom principle. That's how I want to kind of describe it. It's this kingdom principle which is encapsulated in the final verse of chapter 19 where Jesus states this. He says, the last will be first and the first will be last. So what does Jesus mean by this statement? It feels like he's changing the rules of the game as the game is progressing. And if you think of it as... Uh, in this example, when I was a younger lad, I used to run. I remember in high school running for track and for cross country. And uh, for myself, I wasn't a very good runner, but, you know, you would train. And, and I could at least imagine being in a race, you know, after the hard work of training and just working really hard to get out ahead. And being in first place, and of course, like I said, I would imagine this. This never happened to me, but crossing that finish line first and just being ecstatic because of all the hard work and the effort and the pain and the toiling finally pays off, jumping up and down and celebrating and looking around, and the crowd is silent. The crowd's not even looking at you. And you turn around and you see everyone crossing the finish line and then at the very end here comes this slow you know person who just Barely crosses the line. He's the last one to finish and that's when the crowd erupts and everyone takes them and puts them on their shoulders and you know puts a wreath or a medal around his neck and is celebrating and you think to yourself what in the world is going on? I won I was the first to cross the finishing line. But what is, this is upside down. This isn't how it's supposed to work. So what in the world does God or Jesus mean when he says the first will be last and the last will be first? And Jesus is going to answer that question for us as he tells this parable. And so with that, I think Steve and Sarah, are you guys reading for us, if you'd come up, please, and read? Or Steve? Before you read, if you can stand with us in honor of word, if you can stand.
1: For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long and doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last.
0: Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you. This is your word. You speak through your word, and we pray that the Holy Spirit would come. And speak in a way that would move our hearts and our minds into alignment of your heart. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this parable unfolds with the master of the vineyard who... In the midst of the bustling harvest season, ventures out to enlist additional workers. This practice of hiring extra hands was customary during the harvest time and there were many that relied on this, uh, needed extra money and so they would go out into the marketplace and hopefully they would be hired by these owners of vineyards and farmlands and um, during the busy season and so in early in the morning likely around sunrise which was around 6 a.m the master of this vineyard he goes out and he recruits workers and the individuals he selects they they agree on a fair wage for their day's labor which was a denarius and That was, at that time, a fair wage for a full day's work. However, the master goes back out to the marketplace later on in the day, during the third hour, which was probably now around 9 a.m. in the morning, and he sees more workers, and he proceeds to hire them to work in his vineyard. But if we look at verse 4, there's something a little different. That transpires. Verse 4 says, You workers go out in the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So this is quite different than the first group he hired. Then they negotiated a specific price, a denarius, for a full day's work. Now the master of the vineyard tells the workers that he will do right by them. And this requires the workers to implicitly trust the masters, They don't know the wage they will receive, but they trust the word of this master by faith. And we see that because they too go out into the vineyard to work. And so the point is, we serve a God who is perfectly just. So remember in the last chapter I already pointed this out Jesus Jesus points this out that he uh, questions the rich man about goodness it's only God who is good therefore as the perfect judge he's the one that determines what is right and there is a call for us to trust in that much like these workers who go before this master the master says just go and I will do what is right. I will pay you what is right. And they go. And so the question for us this morning is, when is it hard for you to trust in God's goodness? When is it hard for you to trust in God's goodness? And uh, when Mike came up and was talking and, and praying for us and um, think it was, what is God doing within us? And specifically mentioned the funeral yesterday that I, many of us attended, Chad Hayward's funeral. And, and after the funeral, our family were, uh, we were driving up to Zoo, And thinking about this message and thinking of the, the funeral service that I was just at, It made me question in myself, what is God doing? And one of the one of the things that kind of came up within me was was why, Lord, would you take a man who was so young? Okay, I'm I'm forty six years old, so in my eyes Chad was young. And so I had to I, I had that question. In my own heart, in my own mind, it's like, God, you are good, but why? Why would you take Chad so young? And we could probably speculate and try to come up with some kind of answers, but in the end, we, we have to trust in God's goodness. When, when, when things come, when, when trials come, when, when suffering comes, when loss comes our way, And these questions come up many times. God does not give us the answer. Or he may not give us the answer we want. Many times it's us having to trust in his word that he is good. Here's the wondrous thing. I guarantee you Chad is on the other side of heaven going, no, 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 this is good. This is good. See, we want him here with us in this life, but he is with his maker. He is with his God, experiencing the glory of seeing Jesus face to face. And he's like, no, 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 this is good. And the question is for us, do we we trust in that? Because the scriptures tell us that that's what's taking place. Do we believe and trust in God's word? And so the master continues throughout the day to go into the marketplace and hire more workers all the way up until the 11th hour. Friends, the 11th hour is the last hour of the day. And I tried to rationalize this in my own mind. How are these workers, how, how did they miss the master coming throughout the day, going into the marketplace? Right, these these workers in the eleventh hour, and it and appears that they they must have been there the whole time. But but the text doesn't really give us any details, which probably means it's it's not very significant. But all I know is this: that there are workers at the marketplace in the last hour. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they were gone doing their own thing. I don't know if they slept in. I don't know if they missed the alarm. They're the ones that keep hitting snooze all the time. I don't know why they missed out being hired, but there they are at the last minute, the last hour, and the master calls them to work for him as well. And this shows us the great generosity of this master. He does not just call in the ones who were there early in the morning, but continues to call all who seek to work. And this is a beautiful picture of our God who does not just call those who have it all together. Amen? Because I know for myself, I do not have it all together. Those who have great capabilities or skills or talents or status they're not the only ones who are called. No, he calls all kinds of people to himself out of all kinds of circumstances. The scriptures give us a great example of this. The New Testament kind of explores this principle in a specific way. And it's this picture of, or this, this issue that took place during that time with, with the Jews and the Gentiles. And we see it unpacked in the New Testament, specifically with Paul, Paul the Apostle, who was called to preach to the Jews and the Gentiles. And in and, and that time, of course, the Jews are those who came from the line of Abraham, this God's chosen people, and we, we see their history unfold throughout the Old Testament and how God interacted with them and and led them and blessed them so they have this special relationship with God and so it was easy for them to see the gentiles those who were unclean as undeserving It would be easy as a Jew to see how easy, how, how special you were and how deserving you were to be treated by God based on these external circumstances. I am a child of Abraham, one of God's special chosen people. I think Paul understood this parable, though, because he applied this, in this particular situation he found himself in as the church was being built up by both Jews and Gentiles. And so the Jews are the picture of this these morning workers who have been working for the master all day. They've been around following after God this whole entire time. And now we see in the New Testament as the church is... Being built, the Gentiles are invited in as well. And that's why we see in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, Paul sees this and he says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is nor, neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all leveled before the cross. We're all treated with grace. And this is the principle. This principle applies to us today. God shows his grace to the lowly and the broken, the unwanted, the undesirable, and those who seem the most undeserving. God's grace abounds to such as these. And We see this tone, this teaching, this pattern throughout the Gospel of Matthew. We see this in the Beatitudes where he begins with, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It is those who are lowly in the eyes of God, the Father, that he lifts up. And bestows grace. And we see this in the parable. We see the master. He goes to his foreman. And he has the foreman bring in the workers. With the last to come to work first. And the first that were working. They were going to be last. And so it's this. This image again, this phrase again of the first to, to be last and the last to be first. And I don't know exactly why he did that. I don't know if there's some kind of honor that takes place with those being first. And you know, we often do this too. The, the we, we let those you know walk through and go through an entrance first, or let we, we honor those by letting them go first to to eat. Um, So there's ways that we honor people by letting them go first. I don't know if this was the same thing, but I do know this, is that with the last being first, those who have been working all day see the generosity of the master. They're going to see these workers who haven't worked as much as they had, they're going to see the generosity of of the master there. And so, of course, the master does this. It's, it's something out of the ordinary. Verse 8 and 9 says, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And with those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarii. So the master gives those who are unworthy, those who don't deserve a whole day's wage, a whole day's wage. This is generous beyond what is what we deem as fair. If you only worked an hour, think about it. If you only worked an hour, you, desi- you deserve an hour's wage. That's it. But the master is gracious to all those who came to work even later in the day. So imagine yourself being one of these 11th hour workers. It doesn't matter why you didn't show up early in the morning. It could have been because of your own idleness or mistake, or it could have been the circumstances around you. Your horse and buggy might have broken down. Something along those lines where you get there late and and you're there all day and you're just hoping to get hired so that you can support yourself, support your family, support your household. You're there at the very end of the day, you may be desperate. Here comes this master and he brings you in, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what he pays you as long as, as there's something for you. So, yes, I will work. Yes, it's only an hour. It might just be cleaning up for an hour and willing to receive whatever you can get. So how would you view the master when you get there and he gives you the full day's wage? Something that you did not deserve. You only worked an hour, and he paid you as if you worked 12. How would you view the master in front of you? I know for myself, I'd be like, this this is the man. With joy, I'd be giving thanks. I'd be looking around at my friends. Did you just see what he gave me? I'd be running to my family with joy. I just worked for the most gracious and merciful man. I would definitely want to go back and work for this man. I would make sure my alarm was set. I would ask my wife, make sure you wake me up on time this time. Because I want to work for this man. There would be a heart of gratitude. And brothers and sisters, we too, we too are the 11th hour workers. We too deserve a wage but it's not a denarius. It's death. And it's because we are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all slept in. We all came in at the last hour. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love he has shown and lavished upon us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Friends, may we always remember this. When we wake up in the morning, when we lay our heads on our pillows at night, that we too are the 11th hour workers and God has lavished upon us his wondrous grace. So, of course, we see something quite different, though, in response to the generosity of the master from these earlier workers. And so let's look at that. This is verses 10 through 12, the grumbling workers. Verse 10 says this, Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. So, now let's put our, shoes, or our feet in the shoes of these workers, because This is who I kind of identify with the most, right? If you imagine, you wake up early in the morning, you're tired, you get out there, it's cold, and you're waiting, and you get hired on, and you're working 12 hours in the heat of the day, you're sweating, you're toiling, it's hard work. In comes these other workers. At the 11th hour, they come mozoing on in, and it's like, well, maybe, I don't know, you can maybe clean up for us. And then you get in line, and you're looking ahead, and you see the master giving them a denarius, and you're like, whoa, they only worked an hour, and they're getting a denarius? Wow, what is he going to give me for all the effort and work and striving that I did for these twelve hours, and boom, a denarius gets plopped in your hand, and you're like, "Wait a minute, what? What? They're being, tre- I'm, I'm being treated like, like them. They don't deserve a denarius, and you give them a denarius. Wouldn't I deserve more? I don't know about you, but that's that's who I." identify with so what's going on here the workers are comparing themselves to the other workers who came later in the day they were using their own measuring stick to measure what is good and what is fair they were determining for themselves what is good and right This is their perspective of things. This is my perspective of things. And therefore, they felt cheated out of what they thought they deserved. This is a lot like the parable of the prodigal son that we find in Luke. The prodigal son, we we love to identify ourselves as that prodigal who... uh, asked for his inheritance, he receives it, he goes off and he squanders it and lives a licentious lifestyle and, and comes back to the father and, and asks just, at least can I be a servant? And the father embraces him and, and celebrates that he's back and he puts a coat over him and, he, and throws a party. And we often forget about the oldest son who's there. And watching all of this. And his response to how the father embraces this prodigal. And this is, this is the perspective of the son. I'm just going to read this to you. It's not up on the, but you can, you can just follow along with me. The son, the oldest, he was angry. And he refused to go in to celebrate with his youngest or his, his younger Brother. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat. You like how I said that? Kind of like how my... I I think we can say that to maybe our children when our children complain that that's not not fair. I would love to just give that line, You never give me a young goat. Aww. (laughs) But he, that's what he says. You never give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and you kill the fattened calf for him. And he, and, and he said to him, this is the, uh, the father saying to the son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. Son, you're my son. I have shown you love and grace. You have an inheritance. You have everything that I have. I'm giving it to you. You have it all. But look at your brother. Look at your brother. It is fitting to celebrate and be glad. Why? For this, your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. And so we too must understand this perspective and have this perspective that the father has for this lost son. We too must remember that we are living among dead people. People who are lost. You see, the evil one today is so focused on distracting us Christians from this truth. We are so often focused on the temporal issues of our day. We are so concerned about the state of affairs around us that we miss that there are people around us who are dead in their trespasses and sin. They are dead men walking. They will too soon face the wrath of God. Let us not be so focused on our own perspectives of what is fair and what is right and what is good and what we deserve and what others deserve. But let us align our hearts with the heart of God and call people who are dead into his kingdom. And so now we go to scene three. We saw the generosity of the master. We see the grumbling workers and now we see how the master responds to these grumbling workers. Look at verse 13. He says, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong Do you not agree or did you not agree with me for a denarius? So take what belongs to you Go I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you So again, this master did not wrong the first workers. He gave them exactly what was agreed upon They're Not upset, and this is really interesting. They're not upset about him uh, cheating them. They were not cheated. This is not why they were upset. They're upset because he was generous to those they deemed undeserving. That's what's really going on here. And and by pointing this out, by by this by this master, this owner. Exposing this, he's he's revealing the heart of these workers. Their hearts are exposed, and what is inside is not is not good to see. So I think verse fifteen is very insightful, and it helps us readjust our perceptions says this, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So think of it this way. This is the master's vineyard. It's the master's money. He has the right to do what he wants with it. He gets to choose what, who he shows grace to. This is his sovereign prerogative. We know that God created all things, which means everything, including you and me, belong to God. God has the sovereign right to show grace to whom he wills. And there's a wonderful example of this in the Old Testament. Isaac married to Rebecca. They're, they're going to have a child. In fact, they have two Jacob and Esau. And, and before they're even born, God declares that the, young, the older will serve the younger. And this, this is against the values and the traditions of that time. No, no, no. It's the oldest who we esteem. It's the oldest that we lift up. It's the oldest that we honor. And God says, no, no, no. This is going to be different. I'm flipping things on its head. Paul picks up on this in his letter to the Romans this this perspective and and why why this is right and good even though we may see this is upside down and backwards no 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 that's in our perspective our preferences our ideas not with God Romans chapter 9 verses 10 through 16 says this and not only so but also when rebecca had conceived children by one man our forefather isaac though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad so it wasn't by their merit or by their work or by their toiling in order that god's purpose of election might continue not because of works but because of him who calls she was told that the older will serve the younger As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God. The God who shows mercy and has mercy. So it is God who determines what is good, what is right, what is fair. And everything that we see, own, or even our own lives belongs to him. He is sovereign over it all. And that's why we often use that phrase, with this phrase, sovereign grace. God's sovereign grace. Our God sovereignly bestows grace on the undeserving. And we should take hope and joy in that wonderful truth because it's that sovereign grace that has saved us from sin and death. Amen. I want to close with these reflection questions. Have them up on the screen. I would encourage you to write them down. And I just want to I want to leave with you this but encourage you that even throughout this week that you would reflect back on this parable to to imagine yourself as as those as the 11th hour workers and spend some time with the Lord just imagining what that would be like as the 11th hour worker and also what it's like being the worker who started at 6 am and asked these questions how do you react when others receive blessings you don't ten, that you don't tend to receive how do you react with others when others receive blessings you don't tend to receive? Number two, do you view yourself as the 11th hour worker? And what does this stir up in you? Number three, how can you extend grace and generosity to those you may deem undeserving? With that, let me pray. Lord, we come before you, and we look at this parable, and Father, we can identify with those early workers who tend to feel this entitlement that we should deserve much. But Lord, you often remind us through your word and even in our lives as we fall short in so many ways that we're more like those 11th workers that have come come late, don't measure up, and we need your grace. So, Father, turn whatever resentment and entitlement that we may have in our hearts, may it be turned to gratitude, knowing that it is only through Jesus Christ that we can have a relationship with you and one day see you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.